I'm Matt Lenahan, and this is the Koinonia 21C Podcast. Today, we are talking about the Bible. What is it? How do we read it? How do we interpret or understand it? What does this ancient collection of writings have to do with us? As a person of faith and a Lutheran Christian pastor, the Bible is significantly important. It is for me sacred and holy and inspired, but it is also flawed and it is often confusing. And there are parts of it I'd like to just throw out or tear out of the Bible. There are parts of it though that are uh, significantly meaningful and continue to uh, inspire people around the world. There are parts of the Bible that don't speak to me that might speak to you. It is, in that way, Word of God. I like to think about the Bible like Martin Luther, the uh, 16th century Reformation uh, reformer and uh, priest and monk thought of the Bible. The Bible is more like a container within which is housed or that holds the the treasure of God's uh, Word for us. But but in some way we are uh, called to sort of mine it out somehow. Like it's not uh, just you can open the Bible to any page and oh, God's word will pop out to you and, and strike you. In fact, that's probably a really terrible way to read the Bible, to just kind of open it up and expect that um, something miraculous is going to pop out on the page for you. But it is Uh, somehow word of God. It is so because it says it is so and because ancestors in faith have said it is so. The Bible is in that way persistent and resilient and it stands the test of time. But the Bible is also old. It's really old. It was likely assembled in pieces from oral tradition over the course of about 600 years. Most of the Hebrew Bible what, we, what Christians call the Old Testament, was likely assembled between the 7th and 4th centuries B.C. and was kind of finalized in a form that we would um, understand it or experience it not until really much closer to the 1st century. And the New Testament was likely written and edited and, and then canonized as sacred writings Uh, between the second half of the first century and the first half of the third century AD. That makes the Bible between 1800 and 2500 years old. The Bible is also not one thing. It's not a book, but a library of written materials, mythology, narrative, theology, songs and prayers, laws and commands, historical writing, persuasive writing or polemics, letters that were circulated to communities of faith, and ancient biography. It was written in Hebrew and in Greek before it was translated into Latin or any other common language. For most of its existence, it was only read by a few educated priests or clergy. At best, it was uh, written or it was read aloud and masses of people would have heard the stories. It was written in Hebrew and Greek It was copied by hand for centuries. It wasn't until the 1500s that the Bible was translated in English and German and printed by the printing press, making it available more generally. 
In some ways, we might say that modernity and the Enlightenment made the Bible what it is today, a book of sacred writings that the literate can read in their own language. The Bible has been both a source of inspiration for goodness and for evil. Father Richard Rohr, the Franciscan Christian and founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation, a popular and prolific spiritual writer, wrote this in his daily blog on January 6th, Epiphany Day, 2019. For all its inspiration, for all the lives it has changed, the Bible is undeniably problematic. Put in the hands of egocentric, unloving, or power-hungry people, or those who have never learned how to read spiritually inspired literature, it is almost always a disaster. History has demonstrated this century after century, so this is not an unwarranted, disrespectful, or biased conclusion. The burning of heretics, the crusades, slavery, apartheid, homophobia, and the genocide and oppression of native peoples were all justified through the selective use of scripture quotes. For some people, the abusive uses of the Bible disqualify it from holding continued value. Even Thomas Jefferson attempted to dismantle the mythology parts of the Bible, and he sort of had his own version of the Bible, a a very redacted or edited or cut up version of the Bible, the Jefferson Bible, that really is more about sort of the Bible as moralistic wisdom than anything else. But I also suspect for most people, and certainly for those of you who are listening now, the Bible continues to hold some interest, some purpose or meaning, some intrinsic value. Maybe there are parts of it that are very meaningful to you. Maybe it's the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, or the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, or maybe it is uh, the story of Jesus. It is the best-selling book of all time. You have at least one Bible in your house, I would wager. You may have a cherished gift Bible, either a family heirloom or a personal copy. You may have a study Bible that you reference regularly in your own reading. You may have attempted to read the entire thing from cover to cover. You may have failed to complete that. I know that I have. Maybe for you, the Bible is an icon, a talisman, a holy relic of sorts, a kind of special object. You keep it on a shelf on your nightstand where it maybe collects more dust than anything else. I suspect few of us actually read the Bible well. Is there a right and a wrong way to read the Bible? You might ask me, why should I read the Bible? What's in it for me? Are there parts that are more important than others? Can we skip some things? What about those who take parts of it out of context? The Bible verse fundamentalists who use the Bible to judge or harass or exclude. If the Bible can do these things in our hands, should we read it at all? Well, you can imagine that my answer to that question is, of course, yes. But maybe uh, with some caveat, some, some conditions about how we read the Bible faithfully, 
spiritually and in a way that um, is faithful to itself, faithful to the Bible itself and and how the Bible, um, in fact, uh, how the Bible uh, perceives itself in the world. I, I think that the Bible is not so much an object but the Bible is a person, is personal. It, there's something about it that is like uh, um, a way in which uh, a person is uh, from history, from the past, continues to speak. It gives, the Bible gives voice to what in other, uh, in other ways might be an experience of, of silence. The silence or absence of God maybe is in some way addressed somehow in the Bible itself. And the Bible becomes a way in which God's voice is discernible, is is heard, a way that we can listen for God to continue to speak to us and for us even now. I've invited my friend and colleague, Pastor Rob Mialis, to join me on the podcast today. Rob is a Lutheran pastor and a really good preacher, and I trust Rob's thoughtful engagement with the Bible. So next, reading the Bible with Pastor Rob. So I'm here now with my friend and colleague, Pastor Rob Mialis, who's the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran in Lidditz. But more importantly to me, Rob is a person who wrestles with uh, the Bible every week in preparing to preach, to proclaim a message to his congregation, to his faith community. And uh, Rob is somebody who I think takes the Bible really seriously, um, but also someone who uh, really appreciates uh, the, the challenge that uh, we all face in reading the Bible um, personally, privately, and as a community of faith seeking understanding about what the Bible uh, means for us in our present uh, our present circumstances in life. So, uh, Pastor Rob, tell us, um, if you can, in your own words, how do you read the Bible? Sure. Well, that's a... First of all, it's great to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Well, I read the Bible a couple of different ways throughout the week. One way that I read the Bible is typically before I go to bed at night, I actually read from the New Testament, and I typically read in Greek. And the reason why I read in Greek is because when I was in seminary 15 years ago, a professor challenged me if I wanted to get good at Greek, that I should read a little bit of the New Testament in Greek every day. And I ended up doing that, and it's just become a habit. Uh, and the nice thing for me about reading it in Greek is is that it's sort of um, it actually doesn't solve any of the problems or ambiguities. <laughs> it makes them uh, worse in some ways. But it's sort of like uh, for a lot of Bible passages, I've read them a lot in my life, and reading them in Greek forces me to slow down. And in general, Matt, I think you you know me pretty well. I, in general, in life, I need to slow down more than speed up. Mm-hmm. So reading in a foreign language uh, forces me to slow down. Um, the, uh, I'll also read each week in doing sermon prep and, uh, there I'm going to both read it 
alone by myself, again, often looking at original languages. I will then likely read it with some other clergy thinking about it. And then I'll also do at least one, if not more than one Bible study with my, uh, with my congregation reflecting on it. And so those are sort of, so every week by the time I would sort of have preached on a passage, I would have done my own reading, some other theological conversation around it. And if I can't talk to my friends about it, then I might try to read a commentary. And then a third and sort of with the congregation to sort of hear what, what did they see and what insights and what questions did they have. So most of us are not going to read the Bible in an original language. We're going to read it in a, uh, an English translation <laughs> of some kind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for those of us who are reading an English translation that we've uh, maybe it's been handed to us or um, you know we've picked up along the way, uh, what are some of the I guess you could say what are some of the rules or suggestions or tips you would offer for uh, a good or a healthy or effective way um, for any of us to to read the Bible? Sure, sure. So uh, may, maybe a couple of things. First of all, reading the Bible is is not like exercise in that when you exercise, you can typically see yourself getting better. And, and reading the Bible isn't something that, like if somebody were asked me to class reunion, so you know, what'd you do with your life? Well, I, I studied a lot of the Bible. Well, you must know it really well. And I'd be like, well, yeah, I don't really know if I could say that. I mean, so you never quite, you don't get to ever say you're master of the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's uh, just, to know that it will always be revealing things about us, about God, about who we are. And so there's always a certain humility before it. Uh, that said, I do think the more we read the Bible, it gets a little bit easier uh, because we start to see some patterns. Um, we start to sort of see some motifs. Um, and I think uh, we can begin, I think more the more we read to, to sort of see, yeah, just sort of maybe how some pieces fit together. Another thing I'd say is that, um, and if you're wondering what that noise in the background, that's my, my lovely dog who's, who's very happy uh, that Matt is over here. Um, another thing is that it can be helpful, especially if you're new to the Bible, to remember that different parts of the Bible are written in a different style of literature. So like if you were to go to the library, you would, if you were looking in a dictionary, you would expect something different than if you were reading in the children's nonfiction or the children's fiction or the biographies. And so the Bible has within it multiple genres. Sure, it's that, a library. It's, it is a library within itself. And so if you're reading Proverbs, there's just a very different way in which Proverbs is talking about life than Genesis 1 versus even Genesis 12 versus the Gospel of Luke. So I think that can be helpful um, to just sort of under, to ask yourself, okay, I mean, none of us are like English, very few of who are listening to this are English PhDs that would know sort of all these different genres, but to even just ask yourself, well, you know, is this a poem? Is this a prayer? Is this a story? Was this written to be his historical story or is this actually written as a myth? Mm -hmm. Like the prodigal son is the, one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, but it never happened. But it has happened over and over and over and over again in our lives. Um, and, and I think... Then the so those so again it's you're never going to master it but the more you do it the easier it gets 
it can be really helpful to sort of understand like what genre you're reading just to right. sort of um but then I, I think the other thing um when i think i really know that i'm reading the bible well two things happen first of all the bible begins to become a lens for me to interpret life so it's not like i go to the bible and say okay what does the bible say about environmental destruction or what does the bible say about uh, you know gender identity right and just try to like or some other hot button issue and try to find it in the bible the bible is of, of minimal use in that way the, the real value of the bible is when you start to again read it regularly um, then you start to be able to sort of see uncannily, I don't know if that's an adverb, but uh, you just start to see how that passage sort of starts to help make sense of what's going on in life. Um, so I'm sure you've had this experience, Matt, where you're studying over a passage, especially if you want to preach on it, and you're like, man, huh, this is an interesting passage. And then the next day you'll read about something online or you'll just interact with somebody and suddenly like you're like oh my like that's that same story replaying itself again and again and again so it becomes like a lens to look at life rather than a sort of a book of questions and answers mm -hmm. right does that so, yeah. so so more like the glasses that help you understand life rather than some specific thing you could dig up and, and mine yeah so i mean it, it's true that you can with the bible you there's a likelihood that you'll find what you're looking for if you go to it looking for something you know specific that you that you are concerned about or um and in fact in the back of a lot of bibles there'll be like a, a section that says you know if you want to read passages about anxiety or thankfulness or uh all manner of of things uh, they're listed out there, and you could read the Bible that way. Um, that's sort of picking and choosing things that that are of concern to you, but that's not really an, a, a good or an effective way of of understanding what the Bible, um, you know, has to say or has brings to bear a, a, about life. Exactly. Yeah. No. Thank you. Mine, yours, the whole community, the, the whole, world, the whole community. And inevitably, if we look for what we have going on, it, it's probably going to be a very narrow perspective that's just sort of like our own. Mm -hmm. um, and that. So I mean, we could go on a longer thing about the need to read with other people, especially people from other times and places and cultures. Um, I mean, you and I have are aware that, you know, for instance, like. In, a, in other cultures, when they read the, the prodigal son, for example, other cultures that actually experience famine on a regular basis read that line that we in the West throw away, that there was a famine. Like, mm -hmm. they actually have lived through that, so that part of the story just looks different for them than it would for us. Right. As well as our dynamics in the West are, of course, as a son, you would go and move away. Mm -hmm. Most cultures, that wouldn't be the normative experience where a family would be leaving family in the same way. So... Again, it's always great to read with other cultures. But what I what I really want to say, too, is that what I, I think, again, the way that I know the Bible is also sort of that I'm really there, is the Bible becomes not some um, dead book through which I'm looking for information, but, but rather, again, it becomes a living word that starts to actually shape me. And sometimes that shaping can be uncomfortable. So, uh, and I know, for instance, you and the book of Jeremiah have this love-hate relationship because it just, it's so, in, 
it speaks to you so so yes, much. Yes, yes, right. Um, like, do I dare open up Jeremiah today and again be convicted? Is I think you know you're you're you have fear and trembling of reading the book of Jeremiah because it might it's going to do too much to your soul. Yeah. Um, so there's a way in which again in the Bible you you have these stories, and what I think really begins to happen is that when we can find ourselves in the biblical story, what it, it's not only going to provide us with sort of a way to sort of make sense of our reality, but typically it will point to a way forward that we couldn't have necessarily seen otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I think it can actually, sort of when we get stuck in our own stories, uh, I think the stories in the Bible can tend to sort of help us see another story, a bigger story that we're a part of, and can allow us to, to move forward, hopefully in a way that God has called us to move forward. So, and this is probably why the Bible continues to be so compelling um, despite how ancient it is and relevant in today's world is that there's something about it that in reading it the Bible becomes personal not an object from which we extract something but it becomes a in some ways a mirror that that is speaking to us about ourselves we see we can experience ourselves in in the, um, in the written words and in the the relationships and the people and the characters, um, even in the, the the silences and the struggles, um, the pain, the the uh, violence, all of those things are, are somehow a mirror of not only my personal life, but even more personally, what it means to be human yeah. uh, in the world, right? So that for, for some of us, when we read the Bible, it, it becomes the personal story, right, of of what it is to be human in the world, in this world, um, shaped by an understanding that this world is created by by God who created it and and has some sense of, of direction and purpose for for uh, the experience of what it means to be human, uh, it, living in relationship with other humans, living in relationship with with the broader earth community. And it's, it's found that it's all sort of contained somehow yeah. in the Bible. And that's why it's such a powerful and relevant uh, yeah. story. Yeah. And I love, and I like your use of personal as opposed to private. Yeah. It's not mine, but mm -hmm. it is suddenly about me and about what it means to be human. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned sort of the violence. I think one of the challenges of scripture is the violence. Mm -hmm. um, violence that's done by people to people and also even by God. Mm -hmm. And you could even argue in the cross of Jesus uh, to God. Yes. And then just a, just a sort of a, a brief comment about that. Yeah. There's a story in the Old Testament of, of Hagar, who's this Egyptian, basically slave woman, who's more or less abused and kicked out with her son. And it's a really, really uh, gut-wrenching story. And in some ways, I've realized that I've had trouble at points understanding that story. But I've had to recognize that just because a part of the Bible seems offensive or doesn't relate to my experience, it, it may be that that part of the story is really what somebody else needs to hear too. Hmm. And um, that you know, for somebody who, say, has suffered abuse, to know that their story is in the Bible mm -hmm. may be so profound. Mm. So sometimes when I come to a Bible passage and I say, you know, I don't get it. This story, it doesn't resonate with me. I, I can say to myself, I'm not the only one who's reading this. <laughs> yeah. 
There's right. like a billion other people on the planet today who are reading this. And so some stories, it's okay to say, maybe that's not the story that I need to learn from today. Or that's not the passage that's speaking to me. Mm-hmm. But it'll speak to somebody else. Or it'll speak to me at a different point in my life. Yeah. Um, also, what's amazing about it, and for those of us who are sort of um, inspired by and committed to uh, the Bible and its uh, the library of material within it, um, we we realize that um, though it might not be speaking to me uh, today in this particular circumstance, somewhere along the line, it could be speaking to me about this very thing, or it certainly could be speaking to somebody else in the world um, today or tomorrow, uh, and that's why it continues to be fresh. And it always shocks me when I come back to a Bible story or a a reading from the Bible, a passage, a book of the Bible that I've read countless times in my life. And yet there's something new there for me. There's a newness in it um, that I think is still, for me, part of the most inspiring bits, right? That like, you know, because because it does say something about your, your present moment. There's something about the present moment and what... A, the, a Bible um, verse, story, passage might have to say or claim for you in that moment uh, that makes it fresh and new, mm-hmm. right? So like you mm-hmm. mentioned Prodigal Son story. Read that story thousands of times probably in my life since I was a little kid. I've known that story. I know it by heart, as do you. But there are, there are times in life where that story has been more poignant and more significant than others. And there are times when I see it from a new angle with a freshness to it. Yep. And that's that's amazing. Can you say something about what that's like for you as yeah. a person of faith? That's that's and that's what I meant. So as oh man, my, my brain just exploded there. Basically, too many people look at the Bible and try to say, okay, it's either factual or it's not. Lutherans have had a different perspective on the word. And Lutherans have said, no, this is actually a living word. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not so much that we're interpreting the Bible, but it's actually interpreting us. And mm-hmm. it's it's actually at work mm-hmm. trying, it, it will, if you read the Bible openly, the Bible is actually trying to do something to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are some other literature I think we've read in our lives that can have that movement, but the Bible does it with such regularity after a while. Um, but no, you know, you think of just actually about that that Hagar text. Um, in I would just even say, even just in recalling that right now in this conversation, it just brings to mind so much of the conversations we've had in the last year in our church, in our community, everywhere, about race. Mm-hmm. And the way in which uh, good people end up doing some really terrible things. Um, yeah. And there's a racial justice line to it. Um, and God seems to be willing to... And the story leaves on a haunting end where the people that had power, uh, in this case the non-Africans, um, don't seem to be particularly concerned, uh, but God has to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's sadly where we are as a society. We're like, God's going to have to do this because those in power don't seem to be willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that right off the fly here. But there's, yeah. there's so, again, these stories, again and again, they just come back to us. Mm-hmm. Um to, and they're, they're, again, interpreting us. Oh, again and again, just speaking, who am I then? And what have I done? What have yeah. I left undone? And then also this moment of grace of, mm-hmm. 
like the world actually doesn't depend on me. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? So there's there can be indictment in these texts in our current circumstances, both personally and broadly, like cor- corporately. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's also promise and hope. Always. That's in there too. That that uh, is also being spoken to us. I like to think, you know, you said for Lutheran Christians, the Bible is a living word. I like to think of it as, you know, it's this, uh, it's a voice. Yeah. It, so for me, the Bible is not an object. Again, it's a subject. It, it's a person in the sense that it's it's voice, right? It's it's giving voice to, um, you know, uh, what God intends to, to say uh, to the world, if you will, yeah. um, through uh, this written and in some ways flawed, right? I mean, it, there's... Oh, yeah, no, structural. And so two last comments, and I see where I'm running out of time. Yeah. The one is that, don't ever assume that the things you don't like about the Bible, others haven't had those same thoughts, and that even the writers themselves didn't like those stories. Mm. And yes. the, the writers of the Bible are linguistic geniuses who mm-hmm. stitch this thing together from an oral tradition. Yeah. And again, the more you read it, then you realize they're, they're again, they are linguistic geniuses. Yes. These linguistic geniuses figured out right away that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 don't match up. Right. Long before any freshman in college decided there was no God because this didn't line up, the people that wrote it and put it together knew that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 had different purposes. And linguistically, they even had different names of God. I mean, they knew way more about it than we did. Yeah. They were okay with that tension. Uh, and so, again, when, when mm-hmm. we struggle so often in the West, especially in the modern, it's like, well, I read this, I don't like this story or that. And we just, again, toss it aside rather than do what people have done for centuries and that's sit with it and it'll eventually kind of work itself there and my last sort of appeal for why i think we we want to read scripture is to go back to the lens i i don't see a lot of good news in the world typically Mm -hmm. Um, if i look on facebook or twitter or just you know reuters again i try to go for neutral news um just a lot of stories of heartbreak, destruction, and despair. Mm-hmm. We have to look a little bit harder for the good news in the mm-hmm. world. And I think the Bible again and again points to the fact that life is not just um, a closed system. Mm-hmm. That there actually is a God who's alive and working. And for me, the Bible affirms again and again and gives me the confidence to begin to look for God's activity in this world. Mm-hmm. Just in a gracious, more than I could have brought to bear or more yeah. than we collectively can do. And so I think yeah. when, when I think about what, what does the Bible offer us, well, yes, it offers us a lot of stories that are culturally a long time ago in a far away place, maybe even are offensive, are often violent, misunderstood, used by other people too. I mean, all those problems. I still would say it's, it is one of the few places, if not the only place, that will again and again point to the fact that God, in spite of all of this mess that we live in, still cares about us. Yeah. And on some days, I don't have a lot of evidence in the world for that. I only have the word and yeah. the voice you said saying, no, this is this is who God is, that God has loved the people through all this mess and is even given to die on a cross for yeah. us. So that witness, I think, is really what keeps me again and again going back to the well. And there is resurrection. There is this promise of something after that, right? That God mm-hmm. continues to be faithful. God's fidelity transcends even the worst yeah, yeah, of human did, yeah. experiences, we right? Killed, death itself. Yeah. We tortured Jesus, 
and he comes back not for revenge, but to say, peace be with you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that doesn't happen in the world. Yeah. Right? That right. only, so some, or it's so rare. Mm-hmm. So we need that good news of a different way of being, of the kingdom of God. Yeah. That we're just not going to deduce by looking at the news. Yes. That's powerful. That's why the Bible is powerful. That's why we, we read it. That's why you and I read it the way we do and with others and why we want to encourage other people to, yeah. to read the Bible for all those reasons that you just mentioned. So last thing before we go today, what is your take on the 2021 Phillies? Uh, 84 wins. 84 wins. 84 wins. I, I'm, we'll do better, but I don't think we tip the balance. So are we fourth in the National League East? Third or fourth, yeah. Okay. I, 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 the Marlins didn't give up. I, I mean, Washington made. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not confident. Yeah. I think the okay. Sixers, I think the Sixers are the next Philly team to win a title. Yeah, the oh, Sixers yeah. are next. The Sixers are next. Yep. Okay. Well. <laughs> I'm still gonna root for the Phillies all season. Hey, yeah, '84. You know, we, you know, I'm, and yeah, my take is that fans will actually be allowed in the games. <laughs> yeah, that might be good. So, Rob, thank you so much. Yeah, great. Thank you, Matt. This week, I invite you into the spiritual practice of Lectio Divina, the sacred or divine reading of a Bible passage. I would encourage you to uh, select a passage like Genesis chapter 1, the uh, creation story, or one of the shorter psalms like Psalm 62, or maybe a long psalm. The longest psalm is Psalm 119 and is actually an extended meditation and reflection on the Bible itself and why reading the Bible, uh, reading the word of the Lord matters and what it can um, mean for those of us who do, who read it as people of faith who seek to be in a loving and constant relationship of fidelity with with God, the God who somehow uh, has chosen to speak through people and through the word, through uh, the written Uh, word and oral tradition that has come down to us as the Bible. So I invite you to uh, spend time in Lectio Divina each day and with the same passage each day this week. So spend, uh, you know, 10 minutes in Lectio Divina, the the divine reading of uh, Genesis chapter 1 or Psalm 119 or or maybe the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Spend 10 minutes each day in Lectio Divina. Martin Luther, the 16th century uh, church reformer, an Augustinian monk and uh, German Catholic priest, was also a, a teacher of the Bible and had a lot to say about why and how to read the Bible well as a person of Christian faith. And he said that there are really uh, three steps to reading the Bible well. Oratio, meditatio, and tentatio. That is to say, uh, prayerfully, meditatively, and with some sense that the Bible is doing some work, that there's some struggle that has to take place uh, for my own uh, transformation, for my inner life uh, to 
connect more deeply with the life of God. And uh, so first, prayerfully, Luther says the Bible is not a history book, it's not biography, it's uh, not instructions or an instruction manual or a guidebook or an answer book or an encyclopedia. Uh, The Bible is a conversation between us and God. Through it, God speaks to us. Through it, we speak to God. So approach the reading of the Bible as if it is a way in which you are having a conversation with God. God speaking with you, you're speaking with God. Second, meditatio, to meditate or reflect or or contemplate on the word is to sort of sit with it um, and let the word um, dwell in you. Let it dwell in you. Um, maybe just think about a word or a phrase that that somehow stands out for you uh, while you're reading the passage that you select to read. So maybe it is the the phrase in Genesis one, "Let there be life, light." Or maybe it's the phrase in Genesis one, "And God saw that it was good." Um, let that phrase sort of dwell in your mind and in your heart and and sort of think about that each time you you um, you you read the passage this week um, and and ask questions part of being reflective is to ask questions of the of the text what is God trying to say to me how am I uh, being invited to react or respond uh, to what I've just read? Or um, what is the good news or the hope in this passage? Or what is the challenge or the the place of struggle? Or what question comes to mind or emerges for me as I as I read this, uh, this uh, biblical passage, this text today? Maybe each day you'll discover that there's, there's something new, um, some new facet uh, that is being turned for you um, as you read the passage again. And finally, tentatio, the, to struggle, to, to think about the fact that there's some work that God is doing, that the Word, the Bible is doing in your life this week. Something that the Bible is, uh, the, there's a Word that God is a, attempting to, to have with you, to say to you, um, something about this is necessary for your life, for your growth as a person. Um, And maybe something in there is necessary for how you live your life this week in uh, in, uh, relationship with, with your neighbors, with the larger world. May you, this week, begin a new kind of relationship with the Bible, one in which you see the Bible as a place of conversation, a place of learning, a place of reflection and question, uh, a place of um, possibility, and uh, perhaps even a place of joy. Come back next week to the podcast, and we're going to be exploring Celtic Christianity and Celtic spirituality. We're going to be hearing the words of St. Patrick, and uh, other Celtic writers and spiritual writings from the Celtic tradition.